0: I believe that we are all perfectly equipped to fulfill our purpose. So if I can connect to my purpose, then I can also connect to my, you know, skills and talents and potential to actually fulfill that purpose.
1: Welcome to a new episode of the Grasshopper Podcast. Today I have as my guest, Carolyn (laughs) Zittler. Did I say it right? (laughs) (laughs) Zittler. Carolyn is a serial entrepreneur, a business coach and also an activist. And we met a couple of weeks ago around the Do Something Good conference. And last week Carolyn gave a workshop at Sanya, which I attended. And I was very inspired by the workshop. Um, I've been you know, in business for a few years now and had quite a lot of these kind of content and presentations and um, I think you, you delivered it really well. Um, Thank you. And yeah, I told you already, it, it made me change some things in the way I look at how I'm working. Mm-hmm. So I really felt that this is a message that other people can benefit from, not just people who are entrepreneurs and startups, but actually anyone. I was telling... Mm-hmm quite a few of the team who work here your definition of strengths Uh and I just realized it would be such a good exercise to do even with the team here uh, just to help them recognize what they should be spending their time doing so Uh I think that would be something nice we can get into for those people who missed the first workshop just um, share some of the takeaways from that Um, and we are doing a few more workshops leading up to a retreat in July Yep. so we can share some of the ideas that you'll be sharing in the next workshops as well
0: mm-hmm. yeah let's do that <laughs> awesome
1: so Karen maybe we can just start um, you know I introduced you as a serial entrepreneur <laughs> yeah <laughs> maybe you can share a little bit of your experiences with entrepreneurship and the things that have really sort of formed your life and your perspective when you're coaching others
0: mm-hmm okay well I started out, my first business was, um, I called it communication coaching. So um, because I used to live in the Middle East, in Qatar, And um, when I was working there, I realized that there was really a lack of communication, um, as in most places, actually. But, (laughs) you you know, there, I think it was very pronounced because you usually have so many different nationalities working together. So in a typical team and a typical company in Qatar, you have maybe 30, 40 different nationalities. Um, all working together. So obviously that adds an extra layer of complexity to any kind of communication that you have in the company. Um, so I just uh, wanted to find a way, and I proceeded to develop a way that people can communicate with each other um, that is independent of a cultural background. Because, you know, in cultures, we have kind of silent agreements about communication, Uh, So one example is uh, in some cultures, the listener is sort of responsible for the understanding. So if I'm speaking to you and you don't understand what I'm saying, it's your responsibility to ask. Uh, And in other cultures, it's the speaker's responsibility to check that the listener actually understands what the speaker is saying. So you could see how, you know, if the wrong two cultures meet each other, and nobody would be checking mm-hmm. <laughs> and there might not be any understanding, you know. <laughs> and this is just one small example, you know. There are so many of these tacit agreements that we have in cultures. And when we communicate with cultures that are quite different from our own, we don't realize what their tacit agreements are. Um, so I wanted to, so so the way that I have now devised over the years is a way of communicating where it is independent of these tacit agreements. It will always work. It doesn't matter who is uh, opposite of me. And this this has become something I'm very passionate about because maybe I can just take uh, one step back, you know, like for me, all my work no matter what I do because sometimes people say to me you do so many different things like how do they all fit together but (laughs) for me there is a really like one thread that runs through everything which is connection now my work for me is all about connection but real human connection I think we have the illusion of connection a lot of the time these days because we feel that we're connected via social media or, you know, whatever. But it's not a real connection and we crave, as humans, we crave real connection, you know. We need that real human-to-human connection um, and we need a real connection with ourselves, with our deeper inner self you know maybe what you would call your core or your authentic self and we need an we also need a connection with something higher than us whatever we want to call it you know I I don't care if people call it God or Allah or the universe or whatever (laughs) you know earth mother or whatever you want to call it you know I, I think it all amounts to the same thing you know we we need this bigger love this bigger higher power purpose. you know that that kind of binds us together and that also gives us a sense of being looked after in a way so that we're not just lost souls wandering around on this planet you know and this is for me everything that i do is about connection about these three different forms of connection which again, when I go back more, again, it's for me all the same, you know, because I connect. If I connect to myself, my true self or another person truly or the, you know, the higher, it's all the same, really, you know, at the end of the day. So that for me is like the core of everything I do. And. Helping people communicate is one thing, one way of doing that. Helping people express themselves. Um, I've even taught languages before, you know, like taught English. But again, for me, that's a way of helping people to connect because if I can express myself better in a language, I can connect to someone, you know. So for me, this is everything I do has this ultimate purpose of helping people connect.
1: It's really super interesting. I'm very passionate about connection as well and I really try within my businesses to help the people within them have authentic connections to to these three, the big three. (laughs) I think it's it's something I think about a lot because it's really funny how it's so important to our lives yet in a sense we've really lost the skill. Um, I teach yoga and meditation, as you know, and I can often see people who come into the class and it's like they've lost that connection with their own body. Yeah. And it's it's so strange because, you know, how can we live without even being connected to ourselves? Mm. Um, and how can we collaborate, work together and achieve things if that fundamental building block is out? Yeah. Yeah, for most people it is. Yeah. Mm. Um, I think one, one thing which you know, i love your take on is how a lot of people hear that and we think like, oh, this is spirituality, this is, you know, what is this? <laughs> um, but really, sort of, it is so fundamental to who we are and mm. whether you're spiritual or not, you kind of need to get that self-connection first and, and how do you help people, you know, if, if they haven't even accepted that they need to mm-hmm. do it?
0: <laughs> well um my usual normally my approach is to talk to people about fear and love because those are things that I think everyone can identify with and understand you know and ultimately that's what it comes down to you know either I follow the root of fear and then I will be disconnected because fear always disconnects us you know um And then I'll be worrying and putting myself down and, you know, doing all those kind of things. Um, um, Or I follow the route of love and then I will be in the connection. You know, I will be going into connections. I will be experiencing more joy, but I'll also feel often like I need to take risks because, you know, to to connect to another person is a risky business. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, it's not really, but it I mean, feels even, like it, you even know. To connect to ourselves, yeah, of course, you
1: know there are. I see this within yoga. Um, some people who are not used to connecting with mm. themselves, and me myself, I wasn't used to it until I started practicing, and then. Of course, it's kind of like a domino effect, you know, you start to feel it to yourself and suddenly you feel all of these things that you were kind of pushing aside and it can be a bit overwhelming.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's true. But you know what I found and what I, I try to convey to other people is that the fear of it or the worry about things is usually a lot, lot worse than just letting myself drop into it. know, so my fear of feeling sadness, for example, when I've lost someone or, you know, I, I don't know, I've gone through a separation or whatever might cause the sadness, you know, my fear of feeling the sadness is actually much more strenuous, much more energy consuming than if I just sit with the sadness and just let it come up. And let it happen. And if I allow myself to just sit with the sadness, then ad- after a while it goes. Yeah. Actually quite
1: quickly. Yeah. <laughs> I've had yeah. that experience with myself, you know, resisting something for months and then suddenly I just, you know, surrender to it and within five minutes it's gone. I was like, oh my
0: God, What a time wasted. Exactly, you know. So... Um, yeah, and that, that's another thing that I wasted a lot of my time in my life trying to understand things uh, and trying to understand why it is as it is, you know. And now I just think, well, it's just that's just how it is. And if I can just sit with it and let it be and then let it go when it's ready to go, then it, it's really easy. <laughs> and I don't need to understand. Like, a lot of the time... I don't need to understand why I'm sad. I don't need to understand why I'm frustrated. It's just allowing it to be there, giving it some space, letting it go, and I feel better.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I think people are getting more aware about how, in a workplace, it's almost these issues which are the biggest barriers to being productive. You know, before it was like we need to educate people more, we need to give them more technology, but it's kind of like our human nature has now become the bottleneck of productivity Mm. and we're only as productive as we are enlightened in a sense, (laughs) which I think is is beautiful, you know, so you have people like the CEO of LinkedIn talking about compassionate leadership and and mindfulness and and these kind of concepts and it's great that kind of the business world is now going to start pushing us as individuals to actually become better humans.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well I think that's a great advantage of the knowledge economy. Um, I think it's a you know there are several factors but I think two big big factors for that happening is that the millennials are coming into the workforce more and more strongly and that we're moving into more and more of the knowledge economy because in the knowledge economy I need people to be creative and if I need someone to be creative they have to have a good atmosphere to work in because I can't be creative if I'm feeling stressed and pressured and and, you're saying this
1: is obviously like non-creative jobs are more being done by machines nowadays yeah exactly
0: so you know what as as you know the more menial labor is being taken over more and more um, by machines and computers and whatever um, we are being left to do more and more creative work, um, more design related work, more um, also caring work, you know, uh, because computers and machines can't do that. They can't yeah. care for this. And we have to care for others. So, all of these, this whole trend is pushing us to um, be, you know, be more in connection with yeah. each other and to improve on the on the soft skills it's very important for this economy to work Um, and i think the millennials as much as they're being criticized for all kinds of things you know (laughs) i can't even start i don't even want to start but um, i think one thing that is really amazing about millennials is that they really care they do care, you know, and this caring is coming out you know, more and more in the work environment also that companies have to have a purpose. They more and more companies are being pushed to have a purpose, to um, have a corporate social responsibility, you know, to um, to create a good work environment for people because the younger generation just doesn't accept it anymore they don't accept that that's just not how it is, you know? (laughs) What we still accepted a lot of the time, my generation, I mean, I'm 42 now, so my generation just accepted that a lot of the time. People would just say to us, well, that's just how it is. And maybe we weren't happy with it, but a lot of the time we just kind of went along with it because that's how it was, you know? Um. And of course, you know, we have been making changes for for a long time and, um, and making progress also, but I really like this very strong push of this generation yeah. that's saying, "We're not going to put up with this any yeah. longer." They're not just trying to make change. Yeah. they're just saying, "That's it, <laughs> you know) <laughs> <That's what we're> <laughs> <saying>. <laughs>
1: Another thing about millennials is that we do see connection, mm. even though we're kind of the most technological mm. generation. Yeah. I think there is a real drive for real connection. Mm. Um, you know, we we don't like communicating with machines. You know, yeah. Our generation is the generation that hates kind of the, <laughs> the you know calling a company and getting a robot. Yeah, um, and I think even just the whole drive to yoga and meditation and mm. mindfulness um, by the millennial generation just kind of shows that even though we might not have the connection necessarily, we're definitely seeking it and trying to bring it more into our lives
0: I I see that absolutely Um, (laughs) yes (laughs) Um,
1: it's actually really funny because this podcast you know, I never really set out to talk about your spirituality (laughs) the Bigger Picture, It does seem to be a theme into this, uh, I guess it's the guest that I get attracted to (laughs) And since we're on the subject of connection, maybe it would be nice to talk about your experiences in Qatar. Because you were talking a little bit before we started about the conferences you were organizing yeah. and getting people from different groups to connect. And I think that's kind of the ultimate in connection is connecting with people that we're scared to connect to. So yeah. you can just share a little <laughs> bit about that.
0: Yeah, so um I don't know. I think it came from... Early on, you know, my, my parents always traveled a lot with us, and um, my mother is a very open-minded person, and she would always say to us, you know, like, look beyond the surface and see what, you know, see what's behind the surface. So, I've always felt like I could connect with pretty much anyone, you know, independent of, like, skin color or culture or whatever. I could always find a way to connect with people. Um and it became increasingly more important to me when I realized that there was almost like a gulf, you know, between the the Muslim women and the expat women in Qatar. Um, there was very little connection, very little interaction, and um, they seemed quite estranged in many ways, you know. And I met so many of the... Muslim women there, because my first job there, I, I, had, um, I was working in education, so I had a lot of parent conferences, you know, like um, and so I would meet the mothers of the children that were coming to us, and so I got a very good impression, and I was very, very impressed with these women. They were, you know, very educated, very caring, very open-minded, so different from the image that we have. You know of Muslim women and I really wanted more people to see this um, because these women are I mean I met so many women who have a job and their own business and five children and they manage it all you know of course they have help at home of course they have employees it's <laughs> <very impressive. laughs> but you know it is very impressive that they manage to share their time between all these demands and really meet all of the demands um, and I thought it was so different from what people think. And also the way that the men were acting towards the women was so different from the impression that we have, you know. Um, of course, there are still some horrible laws in place, you know, that women need permission from a male relative to travel and, you know, things like that. It's Those things still exist and it's wrong. You know, I I, would, I worked very hard to try and change some of these things. But also, there is another re- reality. Now, um, and that, for me, is another aspect of connection, is that often it's not either or, but and. Now, so it's not... Yeah, either there is all this sort of oppressive aspect... Um, or we're completely free you know it's an end you know there is an aspect in which the women there are repressed or oppressed and there is an another aspect where they're very free and they have a lot of ambitions and aspirations and so I started this um, women's empowerment initiative it was more out of a necessity really like so many businesses have started because there was nothing there for professional women there was only one association and that only allowed qatari women to participate or women who had lived there for at least 10 years already and were running a business trading actually you know so it, it was very limited who could participate i wanted something that was a more open platform that would allow more women to be part of it. So I started a small group first that was called uh, These Ladies Mean Business. (laughs) And uh, we would meet um, and just exchange, you know, exchange about our business ideas, exchange, uh, give each other feedback on ideas that we had, on presentations that we had to give or, you know, things like that. And it was amazing because we were a very, very diverse group. Completely different women, you know, different ages, different nationalities, like completely different backgrounds. But we could all really identify with each other. And I would hear these stories, you know, from a woman who grew up in the Philippines and another woman who was Palestinian-Jordanian. And, you know, I would hear their stories and I could completely feel with them and identify with them, even though their life on the surface is so different from mine. But their, their fears, their hopes, their aspirations are so similar that I could completely understand what they were talking about. And I could feel with them, you know, every step along the way. And we all felt like that in this group. And we felt like this was giving us so much, the sense of, I'm not alone here. I'm not the only woman here with aspirations and ambitions, you know. Because on the surface, uh, maybe I need to explain this, on the surface, when you come to Qatar, the first impression is that all the women are ladies who lunch, you know, are just like they're accompanying their husband who makes a killing in his job and they don't do anything but, you know, go to lunch and maybe look after the kids a bit. You know. yeah. And so, so that's kind of your first impression when you get there. And if you're not like that, you think, how do I fit in? Yeah, you know. But then the more... I did with this initiative, the more I found out that there were actually lots of women like us who wanted to do something. Um, And the initiative grew because we had such a great experience and we thought we should make this available to a lot more people. Um, And so the first thing to do was to start a conference, an annual conference that would give women a platform to get together and to network Um, to get to know each other, to support each other in different ways, you know, to exchange their experiences. And for me, my sort of secret aim was also to break down the barriers between the different cultures, because there was so many, um, there was so much uh, prejudice and so much stereotyping, you know, between the different women, like People would say things about the Indian women or the Muslim women or, you know, the Western women were all seen to be loose, of course, you know. And (laughs) (laughs) it was like this whole thing, you know, all these stereotypes flying around everywhere all the time. Um, And it was amazing how much feedback we actually got after every conference. I did this for eight years. So I did seven conferences over that time. And after every conference, we got a lot of feedback from people saying, basically, they are such so much more like us than we thought they were. And it came from everyone, about everyone. You know, <laughs> so it, it really didn't matter who was talking and yeah. who they were talking about. This experience, it came again and again and again that people were like, wow, we are so much more similar than yeah. we are different. Yeah and i found that really really valuable you know mm-hmm. to see that b- because you know our media especially with the muslims you know our media makes muslims out to be very strange very scary people yeah. you know very different from us and actually they're not You know, they may, may have some a few different traditions and even those are very similar mm-hmm. to what the Catholic, I mean, mm-hmm. strictly Catholic people, have very, very similar values mm-hmm. to Muslim people. It's, mm-hmm. it's not that far apart, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so, I was really seeing that. Wow, you know, if you scratch a little bit off mm-hmm. of the surface, you know, and uh, you find that below the surface, we all are humans yeah. we all have fears we all have ambitions we all want our children to have a better life than we had you know we all enjoy a hug from someone we love yeah. all of these things you know they're all just human experiences
1: yeah. I mean it's you know a topic very relevant to Malta because you know we have our own prejudices and, and issues here coincidentally I actually <laughs> did my, my master's thesis on this subject ok discrimination in Malta um uh, but yeah, I think it's just so interesting that we create, you know, these kind of stereotypes in a way to protect ourselves so that mm. we we'll don't have to get out of our comfort zone and connect with someone. But yet we all want connection and yeah. we have to be vulnerable to connect. So <laughs> it's such a like you know ironic situation that we're facing. Yeah. And you know, going back to, to business, you know, we can be so much more creative and productive if we break down these barriers. Yeah. Because just like you're saying, obviously in this case it's a very palpable boundary. Um, but we face this every day, you know, with yeah. people of the same religion and the same skin colour, we still create these boundaries and yeah. and stereotypes
0: yeah because culture is not only a a question of religion or nationality you know every family has its own culture so even if i meet someone from another family they can feel like they're coming from another culture so to speak you know so it's it's something that's relevant all the time you know in fact in
1: Maltese, the word for like if you Want to call it someone who's from another village? The word is is foreigner. Okay. So even between <laughs> villages, we refer to each other as foreigners. Uh-huh. So it's <laughs> very um, yeah, telling. <laughs> um. So you, you were you were talking about sort of connection as being mm-hmm. the main thread of your work. And yeah. Maybe this would be a good time to kind of go into more detail of of, of what your work looks like, or maybe we can. Uh, yeah. Go into what we discussed in that first workshop. I don't know if you want to share more before we yeah. start talking about the workshop.
0: Now let's talk about the workshop um, because I think it tells a lot about you yeah. know how I work. Um, because my firm belief is that every person has a lot of potential inside of them, and every person basically is a good person. You know, so I think that there is this that at the core, you know, every person is lovable and every person has a lot of potential and talent. And uh, sometimes that gets really lost. Uh, In some people, it's very close to the surface. Mm -hmm. So these are people that are easy to connect to and, you know, they're like approachable. Yes, they're approachable. They have higher confidence levels. They may be more successful in life also, and in other people, this is very buried, you know. It's just like there's a lot of layers on top of that that have been created through throughout life from different difficult experiences that yeah. they've had, you know. Um, but I don't believe that there is such a thing as a mean person. No, I don't believe, because I've never met anyone. Everyone that I meet, no matter how mean they might seem on the surface, if you spend enough time talking to them and discovering more about them, they are actually just as lovable and just as talented as everyone else. Yeah. And it's just a matter of making the effort to get there, you know, yeah. to it's discover that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and so this approach, um, what we were talking about in the workshop, is like um, discovering your strength, discovering the things that energize you, that make you feel strong. Because they would help you discover the lovable side of you. They would help you discover your purpose, your talent, those kind of things, you know. So it's very much connected for me to mm-hmm. to this topic. Um, so I try to help people to become aware of what their strengths are. A lot of people are not aware at all of what their strengths are. They might be somewhat aware of what they're good at. Which is what a lot of people think of as strength, is like, what am I good at? But, you see, the, the problem with that approach is that then this is defined by other people. Because I'm maybe not the best person to define what I'm good at or not good at. But... I'm the best person definitely to define what energizes me and what doesn't energize me because nobody else can know that as well as I can, (laughs) right? So this approach of looking at strength as as something that makes me feel strong puts the power back on me to define what my strengths are. And... Because there are many, many examples, um, if you look around, you will find them everywhere, of something that people are extremely good at, but it really drains them to do it. And
1: we get stuck doing it
0: because we're good at it. Exactly. (laughs) It doesn't mean we should be doing it. Um, But yeah, it's not the best use of your time if it's really draining you. If it's pushing you more and more towards burnout, then it's not the best thing for you to be doing. Maybe it's better to be doing something that you're maybe not quite as good at. You're still good at it, but not quite as good at, but you love doing it with all your heart. And because you love doing it so much and you start out being good at it already, you will get very, very good at it over time. You know, you will become one of the best in your field over time. But we don't have to start as one of the best in our yeah. field. know, we can start as someone who's good at it, yeah. who's got a predisposition, a yeah. talent for it, but maybe is not the best yet. Yeah.
1: I mean, this is just so relevant obviously for entrepreneurs because when you start a business, you have to do a bit of everything. Yeah. <laughs> and obviously the things that you're better at kind of help you save money because you, you can avoid hiring yeah. other people to do that. Um, but at the same time, it's not good for the long-term sustainability of your business. No. Um, but obviously, entrepreneurs often don't take the time to step out um, and and ask themselves these kind of questions. Mm. I mean, I've never asked myself the questions <laughs> that you asked me in that workshop. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bit worrying.
0: Yeah. Um, no, and it's so easy. I mean, even me, even though I know all these things and I've been coaching people in these things, I again and again. You know, find myself like falling into that trap Um, and doing stuff because I'm very good at it and nobody else is putting their hand up to do it, you know, and I'm like, okay, well, it has to be done, so I'll be doing it. Yeah, Um, but that's why a lot of us end up in burnout situations yeah. you know yeah. or a I mean, near I think burnout think it's worth situation kind of
1: pointing out that you said you know you do still need to spend at least 20 yeah. percent of your time doing things like that so we're of not course. saying you know <laughs> only do what <laughs> because obviously you know you have to be a bit realistic, but you said kind of an 80 20 ratio to spend 80 yeah. of your time and, doing things and this
0: is the the long-term goal that you're working towards yeah so Everyone understands that in a startup situation, you know, in like your first few months, you just have to do a lot of stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you just have to do whatever Um, is required, you know. But the problem is that a lot of us, we get stuck in startup mode. And six years down the line, we find ourselves still working in startup mode, you know. And you cannot sustain that model for a long, long time. At some point, you need to switch and you need to see like, okay, so what are the things that I want to be doing? And what are the things that I need to find other people for? And how can I find other people that complement me? you see because let me give you an example like when I was doing the women's empowerment uh, stuff I we organized very big events for like two day conference for 300 people with 60 speakers because we had like lots and lots of breakout sessions happening in parallel so we needed a lot of different speakers so you can imagine the organizational effort that that takes you know it would actually take us about six months to organize the whole thing from start to finish you know And I couldn't, you know, I couldn't do it all myself, obviously. And I discovered very soon discovered that I'm not very good at handling volunteers or the, you know, the people who do the small stuff directly, Mm -hmm. uh, because it needs a lot of interaction, a lot of hand holding, a lot of telling people what exactly is expected of them um, and checking in with them and seeing where they're at. And I don't have the patience for all that, you know, (laughs) like. I'm a big picture person, you know, I want to get like, uh, get that vision, you know, done and (laughs) installed and implemented, you know. Um, So I needed to find a coordinator, you know, I needed to have someone whose sole job was to just coordinate the team. That was their only job. They didn't do any actual work on the conference. Their only job was to coordinate all the volunteers and that helped me so much because that way i had one person who could translate my big picture thinking into detail stuff you know yeah. and and give it to the volunteers broken down mm-hmm. into detail and then the volunteers had each had a very concrete project that they were working on so it was very satisfying for them because they weren't just someone who was doing something to help they were the person responsible for x And if they managed to do X well, then that was like a part of the conference when it all came together and they could see their achievement, you know, when they came to the event. So that was a way of helping everyone to capitalize on their strength. I could focus more on my big picture thinking and, you know, doing the networking and the fundraising and all the things that I needed to do at the that level, you know, the coordinator was someone who was very good at project management and at detail and at, you know making plans and spreadsheets, which you know <laughs> is something that you can chase me with. <laughs> but you know, everyone's different. Thank God, yeah. you know, everyone's different. <laughs> thank God, some people like spreadsheets. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, we need that. It's really important to have that. So. And then, you know, the volunteers each had something that they felt very passionate about. And they could work on that. They could work on their little project. That was something that they felt strongly about and that they enjoyed working on. So that kind of is what I mean by it. You know, it doesn't mean that I didn't have to do things that I didn't like doing. I mean, fundraising, for example, was never my favorite thing to do. I still needed to do it. But there are things where you can find someone else and you can find someone who enjoys doing what you don't want to do. So it's not like, you know, dumping it on someone. It's actually finding a synergy with someone and that way everyone benefits. Yeah. And again,
1: you know, it's like a percentage, you know, that you're working towards, you know, spending at least the majority of your time. Yeah. Yeah. and as you mentioned, you know, kind of those things, I mean, I was thinking about this for myself in the workshop and coincidentally, you know, what I get strengthened by is actually the things that are good for my business. Yeah. So usually you do end up being in a situation where your business can benefit from, from what your strength is. If not, you're in the wrong business. <laughs> Start a new business.
0: Yeah. No, definitely. And, and you know... What I this my this work is based very much on Marcus Buckingham's work, you know. So I I really admire his writings and everything. So I've I've learned a lot from that. And what Marcus Buckingham says is that nobody ends up in the perfect job or with the perfect business by chance, you know. People build this position yeah. or this business over years and years and years yeah. by consistently focusing on. Getting more of their strength more you know as part of their role, yeah. so you might start out with doing only twenty yeah. percent of what makes you feel strong, you know, and you have to do eighty percent of what you don't really like, yeah. but if you consistently consistently work on it week after week after week, you know then you can expand that yeah. and slowly but surely arrive. In yeah. the place where it's mostly yeah. what you want to be doing. Yeah. <laughs>
1: and in a sense, this is kind of a new idea itself, you know, that our businesses can serve our lives as mm-hmm. much as we have to serve our business. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I, I met um, someone in London who, who runs a cafe and I was sharing with him my experiences. I was saying, I'm getting a bit tired of catering, everything am getting burnt out, and he just kind of looked at me and said, Well, if you're not well, then you shouldn't be in the wellness industry. Yeah, And he was just kind of sharing, you know, that our businesses have to support our values and the way that we want to live our lives and, and the kind of people that we want to be. Yeah. But it's something that you do have to kind of keep taking note of and coming back to. You mm. can't just take it for granted. I mean, those words never left my head. I keep coming back to questioning, like, okay, am I well? You know, mm-hmm. Because if I'm going to be doing this... and and sharing wellness with other people. And if I'm not there, then this is all, you know, a bit, bit of a joke.
0: Yeah, it's like the hairdresser with the bad haircut. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, I think this might be a nice um, thing to just talk a little bit about mentorship. Because you mm-hmm. mentioned you know, yourself, yeah. you know, you do so much coaching. Even you can easily forget, you know, some yeah. of these principles. And I, and I think most entrepreneurs, especially the more successful ones, they always talk about mentorship as yeah. one of the top things that you need to succeed and I think we're living in a time where there's a lot of information online mm. so in a sense you have this kind of false mentorship where you can go watch a YouTube video mm. learn how to do this, that or the other um, but I think you know one of the reasons I was so inspired by your work and the workshops we're doing at Sanya is because you're teaching the inner skills mm-hmm. which you can't get from a YouTube video and yeah. you need a kind of person in front of you who can help you interpret your emotions exactly. and your vision mm-hmm. um, at the same time you know i don't want to, like group all millennials but yeah. my generation we do have a bit of a thing of like you're your own guru kind mm-hmm. of mentality that like
0: <laughs> don't follow the guru exactly but <laughs> we're kind of like follow your own feelings yeah but,
1: you know sometimes our feelings can also really misguide us mm-hmm. so no, maybe you just want to comment on on that
0: well I think again it's an and situation you know it's not a question of either you follow the guru or you are your own guru you know yeah. it's an and situation yeah. you know I myself have never subscribed to any particular guru you yeah. know but I have always learned widely from yeah. all religions all philosophies you know I've always like sort of picked out the yeah. bits that I found really useful yeah. And I think it's really important, you know, to read and watch and listen widely. Yeah. Uh, but then it's equally important to always check back, like, how is this relevant to me? And does this kind of fit with what I feel and what I know already? Does this, um, I don't know, resonate with my experience? You yeah. Know? Um, so... From this, you know, you kind of develop your own set of values, your own set of um, truth, Mm -hmm. if you will. Um, And that can help you grow consistently. And they they might change a little over time. I found that, you know, you, you do sometimes, you know, you come to... A stage in your life where you're like okay this thing doesn't serve me anymore now this belief doesn't serve me anymore or this uh, I don't know you know and you need to change something Um, but I I also think that your values your basic values probably pretty much stay the same over life I don't think they change that much Mm -hmm. but maybe your interpretation of how that can be lived can change you know over life so so that's kind of that part and then I think mentor mentorship for me mentorship and coaching are two different things but I think mentorship is really really important because we need people who are like role models in our life you know we need someone who's somewhere where we want to be one day in one aspect you know yeah. in one respect or yeah. another yeah so my rule was always when I see a person that I find very inspiring in some way or another, I ask them to be my mentor. Yeah. Um, and sometimes, you know, they're in a completely different business from me. But mm-hmm. for example, I met one businessman in Qatar and he was running his business in such an inspiring way because he knew all his employees he knew everything that was going on he was very involved with the business but he was also going home at one o'clock every day because it was really important for him to spend time with his family and he had mastered the 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 art of delegating work you know and and still being in touch with his business like he was very clearly in touch and in charge of his business But at the same time, he had, you know, carved this free time out for himself where he would go home and spend time with his family every afternoon. And I thought, wow, you know, I want to be like that. So I asked him to be my mentor. Um, And with many other people, it was the same. You know, I would see them, sometimes even people who I hadn't met face to face to face, but I would see them online and I would think, wow, this person really knows something that I need to know.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and
0: I would ask them to be my mentor. And actually nobody ever said no, you know. Some people said, Well, I can only do three hours or something like that, you mm-hmm. know, but at least, you know, they would give me that. Yeah. So I think being a mentor and having a mentor is both really, really inspiring. Yeah. Like we also started a mentoring ring uh mm-hmm. for for women in Qatar. And that was also a great experience, Mm -hmm. you know. I went through... uh, I had a few mentees in that. Mm -hmm. And, again, they were often from very, very different areas. Um, Like, one of them was an airplane engineer. (laughs) But, you know, she just needed this encouragement. She needed soft skills. So I was a good mentor for her because I could help her with that, you know. Um, And then there's coaching. And coaching is maybe it's more about discovering yourself you know so mentoring is more about learning the resources learning about the resources that are mm-hmm. available learning about the trade learning about mm-hmm. how to do business you know yeah. all of these kind of things but i think coaching is very much about learning about yourself yeah. you know it's learning how you can get even better at something yeah and the coach that you choose doesn't necessarily have to be better at it than you are mm-hmm. because it's a different set of skills you yeah. know i always compare it to like a professional tennis player a professional tennis player their coach doesn't play tennis better than the player yeah. but their coach <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. their coach is good at yeah. seeing what can the player do yeah to be even better yeah <laughs> yeah and and that's exactly what the business coach does you mm-hmm. know i'm not better at running a business than a ceo of a multi-national yeah. uh, yeah. corporate you know i don't know anything about that but they know their job that's not yeah. the problem but i can see where they can do even better yeah. you know? it's just that thing that like
1: it's so hard to see yourself yeah like, from the outside you just need someone to kind of be out (laughs) yeah
0: yeah and you need someone who has that specific training you know it's a specific training that we have as coaches is to see how to help people improve themselves um, and to teach them the tools that they can improve themselves Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day as a coach Mm -hmm. my my aim if i'm working with you Mm -hmm. is that you don't need me anymore yeah now, well, my aim is to teach you the tools so that you become your own coach. Yeah. And I'm just there along the way for a little while mm-hmm. to sort of accelerate a process that would naturally just happen over it's a, a longer, longer time. Yeah. You know? Probably save a lot of money <laughs> yeah. <all> the way. <laughs> exactly. <and> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's just a, a way of saving, saving yourself a lot of time and money yeah. and hardship, really. Yeah.
1: So, I, you know, we've spoken for about 50 minutes now, so we can just kind of um, come to the end of the conversation. But I want to talk about the next workshop. Mm -hmm. There's another three, right, that we're doing before the retreat. Yes. Um, The next one coming up on the 25th of May is about building resilience. Mm -hmm. So, maybe you can just, you know, without giving away too much. (laughs)
0: Um, Well, I think that resilience is one of the most important skills for an entrepreneur to have because in order... I can second (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because in order to grow a business, you have to fall on your face a few times, you know. There is just... I don't think there is a way to do it without, you know. Um, Maybe sometimes you get lucky for a while, but then at some point you're going to come to, you know, to a limit... And you're going to try things and fail. And you're going to learn a lot from that. And it's going to make you stronger in the end. But at that moment, it doesn't feel very good. So resilience is really the skill of being able to pick yourself up again, dust yourself off and go on. And it's not only about failure. It's also no, maybe some you have a personal crisis. Maybe you get sick. You know, things like that. Those things can completely throw us off as entrepreneurs. It can be really, really difficult to get back on track after something like that happens. Um And some people give up completely when they have like a personal crisis. They can't get back on track with their business because mm-hmm. they lose, you know, the kind of momentum. Yeah. And um I think everyone who's had this happen to them, if you lose momentum for a few weeks, even... It's it's quite significant in business. Yeah. And getting back into it, you know, and repairing the kind of damage that happened because you we weren't responding to people and whatever, you know, in that time. It is challenging. Yeah. And also, you know, cash flow issues which all entrepreneurs have at some point or another Mm -hmm. in their in their career you know it's just well, it's just part of you know yeah. being an entrepreneur you know it's also something that really takes some resilience to get over because you don't know how to pay your bills you don't know how to pay your staff you it's know the most stressful thing about being an entrepreneur it really. is a really really stressful situation but that all of these things you know Having strategies to deal with that, strategies to deal with any kind of high stress, high pressure, anything that really throws us off course um, is really, really helpful because it brings us back to, okay, I can do this. I just, you know, just put one foot in front of the other, keep going, keep going, keep going. And suddenly everything like takes, you know, suddenly you get momentum again and it keeps moving. But this phase of just knowing how to put one foot in front of the other when you actually feel like just lying down and playing dead yeah. you know yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean yeah. right I <laughs> Maybe once <laughs> <time. laughs> so so you know this is really really important and the workshop is going to be about developing some strategies for yourself yeah to help you get back on track yeah
1: and keep in that stamina.
0: Build, yeah, and and get you know, and the more practice you have, the less time it takes you to come back yeah. after any kind of setback, yeah. you know. Um so it's really it's a matter of practice. It yeah. really is. It's like a muscle, you know? It's like your resilience muscle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to train the bicycle, no? yeah. <laughs> yeah, but if you train it in times when you don't really have a lot of problems, when it's maybe minor issues that you're dealing with, then when the big crisis hits, then you have all the strategies and the yeah. tools in place. Yeah. And when the big crisis hits, you really need them. Yeah. And you can't learn them then. No. <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, you yeah. don't have any capacity for learning yeah. at that yeah. moment. Yeah. You know, you're just like crisis mode. Yeah. And while
1: we're here, maybe you want to just say a little bit about the ones after the Building Resilience.
0: Yeah. So um, after the Building Resilience, we have two more workshops. Um, I'm just trying to think <laughs> in which order they come. Um, and then, um, yeah, after, there is one, I believe, on resourcefulness. Um and there's one about promoting generating your brand. Ideas yeah. Yeah, so the resourcefulness is the next one, right? And then generating
1: ideas and then this promoting
0: yeah. your brand ethically. Exactly. So those are again two topics that are really important especially for purpose-driven entr- entrepreneurs because um you know we need to be innovative uh, things move so fast all the time you know around us we need to constantly kind of recreate and innovate our ideas Certain to
1: but it's also like we're kind of trying to create new business models yep. so you're kind of you know testing things and you have to adapt pretty quick to see what's working what's not
0: exactly so you know innovation creativity resourcefulness they all come kind of from the same place within so it's creativity is not always about painting a picture you know or writing a piece of music <laughs> it's often just about finding a new solution to an old problem or Um, managing a crisis in a good way you know this is also being creative or as you say creating a new business model or just a new aspect in your business model you know just tweaking something to make it more effective so that's the the one then the next one is about promoting yourself and your brand ethically because in the very very early stage of your business you are your brand basically you know uh, and that only changes once you've established a brand that can then stand alone but in the beginning basically there is no difference between you and your brand people will come up to you like people used to come up to me and say hey you are how women work right <laughs> I was like yeah I guess <laughs> I guess I am and <laughs> um, because You know, they don't differentiate between you and your brand. So this can be quite challenging at times uh, because you kind of feel stripped of being your own person. You know, you have to kind of be representative of your brand all the time. You're kind of a public person in in a way. Of course, you're not wildly famous necessarily, but you know people yeah. will recognize yeah, you. I mean, on
1: a small island, like yeah. more than
0: twenty minutes. Yeah, and especially if you have, a, you know, a job like what I used to do. I was on stage a lot, so you know, if I'm on stage and I have three hundred people in the audience, I don't know all these three hundred people, but they all know me. And also, when I'm in a cafe, like, there might be five people there who recognize me. I don't know about it. I don't even know that there are people who recognize me, you know. So this was something I was constantly aware of, that, you know, people would know me and recognize me and associate everything I do with my brand and my Mm -hmm. initiative, you know.
1: So you can't walk into Starbucks naked.
0: (laughs) I think in Qatar, that wouldn't be an (laughs) option anyway. (laughs) (laughs) but no um, I mean there were really things where I felt it could be challenging at times but also you know the other part of that is also that um, marketing often kind of feels unethical now, I feel like a lot of the typical sort of marketing strategies and tricks that marketers use, they feel very unethical to me, mm-hmm. because to me, it feels like lying, mm-hmm. you know, like saying, Migration oh, or
1: so. yeah,
0: and, and creating this false sense of scarcity, for example, mm-hmm. or, you know, that what marketers use a lot, yeah. these kind of yeah. strategies, you know, so I really had a had a difficult journey with marketing throughout uh, until i realized that i'm really doing people a disservice because they're not finding out about the events in time to come to them Um, and if they're not finding out about the events then you know how can they benefit from them so i needed to do marketing in order to serve the community that I wanted to serve but I needed to find a way to do it that wouldn't go against my values you know so this for me became a journey and a learning about how to use storytelling how to add value um, through my marketing so that I can feel good about it you know yeah. so that's something I want to share and work on with people in that workshop and then and
1: I just I have to say I really look forward to yeah. what you said because I think it's it's really relevant for our time. Yeah. I think a lot of entrepreneurs, like I speak from personal experience, you don't you know start a business to sell. Mm. You start a business to provide a service. For example, you know I started Grasshopper yeah. because. Of my own dietary changes, I wanted to bring this food to people. But then, at the same time, to keep your business going, you have to kind of bring people to the yeah. place, and that that can be exhausting and not really what you want to be doing. Yeah. And so, I think finding a way to do that in a way that feels good and is actually inspiring you, I think, is really crucial. Yeah. Especially in today's world, you know, social media has become such a rat race. It's, mm. it's just become you know, information overload, content overload. Yeah. What about how many likes, how many followers, and it's kind of almost become very difficult to even realize who's honestly engaging with your brand and who you like. It would be so much better to have 10 followers who are listening and yeah. than a thousand who are not listening <laughs> or just liking and not really engaging with your content. Yeah. So I'm sure these are some of the things you're going to be going into. And um, yeah, I think this is yeah. going to be a very interesting one.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think it's also a lot about trust, you know, like trusting that the right people will connect you know mm-hmm. if you give them a chance yeah. but I do need to make an effort from my side to give people a chance to find yeah. me you know yeah. if I'm quietly doing the greatest work in the world in my little corner without telling anyone you know it's yeah. not gonna work yeah. Yeah. so um and finally then we have the retreat yeah so it's called client impact yes <laughs> so yeah because for me you know, this is like the thing that I can really get high on is like if I feel that my work is having an impact, making an impact, you know, somehow serving to make the world a better place in one way mm-hmm. or another. Um, whatever, However small that is, you know, but making some kind of difference. And um, in that retreat, I really want to also work with that power that connection has so coming together with like-minded people coming together with people who also get high on impact and on purpose that alone for me is worth having the retreat for now i think that everyone who's ever experienced that where you really come into a deep connection where you're in a space of openness and sharing with other people who are very much like you and have you Know the same kind of values that drive them that alone is worth going for the retreat, you know, yeah. because it just it energizes yeah. you it's so like much. The magic that happens, on yeah, retreat, you know, when you create these
1: bonds and this yeah. space, and even just kind of stepping out of your daily routine, yeah. And we're going to be doing some yoga and meditation as well, yeah. The retreat, so um, yeah, we, we did a sunny retreat last year, and it just blows me away every time, you know, what happens when people come together, especially yeah. when you're doing exercises to connect to each other in a more authentic way and kind of removing that yeah. fear and that boundary mm-hmm. to really allow yourself to be yourself. And obviously,
0: yeah.
1: it's much easier when you're with like-minded people.
0: So Exactly, because you don't have to fear that you're going to be strange, you exactly. know, because everyone is strange <laughs> in the same way as you are. <laughs> so they don't find you strange. Yeah, sure. um, and... Um, really, but we obviously we're gonna do a lot more than that. You know, I'm just saying that that for me that alone That's is already worth it. You know, yeah. worth going. But we we're, we're gonna be working more on finding more depth with the topics that we already worked on in the workshops. Um, So it's good if people have attended the workshops, because it will allow them to go to the next level when they go to the retreat. But it's not, uh, you know, absolutely mandatory. We can do the retreat, you can do the retreat, even if you haven't been to the workshops. And then it's also about, um, you know, thinking about some of the other aspects, Um, like you really need to create a community, a tribe, uh, a network in order to be successful in your business, you know, Um, you can't do it alone. Um, So uh, that's another aspect that we're really going to be looking at, like, how do I, connect with other people how Mm -hmm. do I reach out to other people how do I make this happen that I feel like part of a community and get away from this idea of everyone out there is somehow out to compete with me or to steal my idea or whatever but seeing the value in collaboration rather than competition like I don't believe in competition anymore at all I think even if someone's offering the exact same service that I am offering we can work together and we can both become better and and grow more through doing this Mm -hmm. together you know we don't need to compete we can collaborate always there is always enough for everyone you know And (laughs) and I really want to you know go into those kind of things during the retreat and help people really bring out that purpose that drives them help them connect to it and translate it into something that becomes marketable Um, even if they're already running their business or have been for a while this can still be so valuable to reconnect in that case to the purpose and bring it back you know because we often lose parts of it or even all of it you know when we're when we get kind of carried away yeah. with business swept into the tide of the daily to-do list <laughs> yeah and then it's often a matter of necessity you know people go like oh but i need to earn money so i'm just going to take this job even though it goes against my values and you know those yeah. kind of things so also finding that trust again you know finding that trust that i'm going to be okay even if i make some difficult choices mm-hmm. you know i'm going to be more than okay Um, I'm gonna do great I'm gonna thrive it's not always gonna feel like that at that very moment when I'm making the decision but in the long run I will see that if I stick to my values and to my purpose that I will thrive in a way that is much more gratifying
1: Yes, there's so many stories of entrepreneurs as well who kind of just stuck with the vision and had to go through like, you know, being kicked out of yeah. their apartments, like not making their payments. But then, you know, just at the last minute, they get, yeah. they get saved and, and actually create like huge success by just, you know, sticking through that vision. Yeah. So maybe we can just end by kind of saying who would benefit from this treaty. I mean, is this just for social entrepreneurs? Is it just for startups? Or is it more broad than that?
0: I would say anyone who is driven by a purpose or wants to be driven by a purpose can benefit from the retreat. So it's really about this, you know, reconnecting to this purpose, rediscovering the purpose that you have that drives you and your own, yeah, your own potential to make that happen. Because, you know, I I believe that we are all perfectly equipped to fulfill our purpose yeah so if I can connect to my purpose then I can also connect to my you know skills and talents and potential to actually fulfill that purpose yeah.
1: so <laughs> I, I read in this book um, one of my favorite books called mining your business and, and the author <laughs> says that you are the ceo of i inc yeah <laughs> if you are the ceo of your own body you have these resources you know, you've got a potential mm-hmm. output like how are you going to maximize yourself you know, yeah to, to achieve what you want so i think Definitely, you know, after attending your first workshop, I was saying a lot of my friends who are not entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. um, because I think we can all benefit from really just asking these important, meaningful questions and yeah. trying to see what's within us that, that yeah. we need to offer the world. Mm. Um, another favorite quote of mine from this book is that, paraphrasing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So sort of, if we're going to face the crisis um, in the world at the moment not only must everything we do change but each and every one of us must change you know, from within ourselves yeah and you know it's actually the most fun thing to be doing things that are helping you grow helping you transform and, and become a, a different
0: person definitely so amen sorry <laughs> to- <laughs> Carolyn thank
1: you so much for, for taking the time to, to chat and, thank and you. Share, share the wisdom you know from that first workshop I've been telling everyone that I see about it <laughs>
0: Great! <Yeah. laughs> so I hope it
1: will inspire some more people to come check out your work because I, I think a lot of people can benefit mm-hmm. um, and obviously the, the jewel in the crown is, is the retreat in July um, for anyone listening if you want to know more about the workshops or the retreat you can either check out the sanya event page um, or the do dosomethinggood.eu event page i think all the information is all of those and if you have any questions for carolyn um, i guess you can contact through either of those pages yeah um, or just leave a comment in the event and, and she'll answer any of your questions
0: yeah like all the events are on facebook on the do something good page on facebook as well so if you prefer facebook just uh, get in touch through that it's fine we mm-hmm. can get back to you through that as well super
1: and um, i always end the podcast by asking my guests sort of if if there was one thing um, that you would want to share with people to have them live you know happier more fulfilled life what would it be <laughs> it's sort of a big question <laughs> but you know anything that comes to mind that, yeah. that you'd like to share
0: I think that at the end of the day, it's all about joy, you know, and remember that because we tend to go like very, very big detours in order to get more joy into our lives, you know, and I don't mean pleasure, I mean joy, it's a very different thing, you know, it's much deeper, much more fulfilling Um, and we can have joy in our lives right now. At any moment, no matter what is happening right now, you know we can always have joy in our lives right now. So instead of, you know, just looking ahead and trying to do something so that in twenty years time I can experience joy, <laughs> you know, think about now and think about how you can experience joy right now and create joy for others right now as well. <laughs> Thank yeah. you
1: so much, karen Thank you. We'll see you in the next
0: workshop. <laughs> Definitely.